Welcome back to the basement, music lovers. You are now tuned in to yet another exciting adventure with me and us here on Chunky Glasses, the podcast. I am your host, Kevin. As usual, uh, as usual, we've got a uh, we've got a ripping podcast for today. This one pretty much goes to eleven, uh, literally. The last two have been to eleven, pretty pretty much. Bob Boylan on our two hundredth episode that was definitely to eleven, and uh, the mystery lights. Which, uh, if you haven't checked that one out, I, please check that out. Check out the band. Uh, you've, they're going out on tour now. And uh, I think as I'm taping this, they're playing in, playing in Philly. So that show would have been awesome. And, uh, you know, check them out. You know, they are, they are a, a most most rad band. Uh, rad to the supreme. And um, But this week we're going to be talking about a band from Richmond, Virginia. A town that you've heard me mention that I've spent a little time in. The name of the band is Inter Arma. And uh, they are metal, which is, if you know anything about Richmond, Richmond has a, a vibrant metal scene. Uh, Lamb of God is from there. They used to be called Burn the Priest. You see them when they were in that configuration. Uh, and, you know, aside from the punk and the jazz, you know, the metal, I think, is is really uh, what's sort of driving a lot of stuff down there. The old school Richmond. You know, we've got a lot of, like, Lucy Dacus coming up. You've got uh, Avers. You've got, you've got a lot of the indie pop coming up. But if you want to get down to the guts of what makes Richmond the town that it is, you have to, uh, you know, step into the uh, the moonlight pool of reflection uh, that is that is metal uh, down there in Richmond. So they have a new album out called Paradise Gallows. So we're going to be talking about that. Myself, Paul, Eduardo, and uh, Marcus Dowling, and uh, Quinn's actually hanging out. You won't hear from him much. He was just sort of drinking a few beers. Hadn't seen him in a while, so it's good to hang. Um, we're also going to be talking about uh, record stores and the death of record stores, uh, which you know may be coming, maybe it's not. Uh, Warner Brothers Music uh, sent a little shot across the bow this week, so we're going to be talking about that. And finally, you're going to be hearing a new track from an album we hopefully will be reviewing down the road here, uh, Xenia Rubios. Uh, going to hear a new, album, uh, new track from her album called Black Terry Cat is out now on anti i suggest you check it out but uh if you don't have time to do that and you just have time to do this then stick around to the end and we've got a really groovy track for you so that's your podcast to uh finish out this week uh if that's okay with you uh so if you're ready and you're comfortable everybody is is sort of strapped in i think it's time we, we get going on this thing here you go this is episode number 202 of chunky glasses the podcast where we're reviewing the new album from inter arma paradise gallows Okay. It happens here, and it finishes here. Two men enter, one man leaves. Nearly a two-word review just a shit sandwich. I will roll the record up and get an That right there is a logical fallacy. Um, you guys ready? That was fun. Hmm? That was fun. Yeah, yeah. Up oh, here comes Gus. Hey, Gus. Hey, brother. Cats are metal. Cats are metal. Cats Dogs, are Doctor Jam Bands. Uh, Cats are you, metal. You guys, uh, welcome back to the basement. Now, I, Eduardo, I instructed you not to sit where Bob was sitting. Uh, <laughs> you know, we're gonna we're gonna plaster Paris that. And like, who, who's sitting where Bob's sitting? Uh, Eduardo. 
You got, you got to do like a Ben's Chili Bowl thing here. And just have like a party <laughs> yes. box. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, we're down here with Paul, Eduardo, Marcus, and hey. uh, Quinn's just drinking. He's just hanging out. Hey. <laughs> there you go. Uh, and Gus is uh, sneaking up on us right now. Uh, back for, this is our, we were taping this the day the 200th came out. This is officially like our first post-Bob uh, era. PB era. Yeah. Post-Bolo. Post PB era. So hopefully we're going to be doing things a little, a little Bolo. <laughs> <laughs> Bob only lives once. That's, that's what the uh, hashtag stands for. Um, hopefully we're going to be doing things a little better. Uh, we're not off to a really great start. Uh, this week we are going to be talking about some uh, metal, yes. which I don't believe we've done. We, you and I talked about Megadeth. We did Megadeth, and, and then we did, uh, we did one earlier in the year. Oh yeah, was, you guys did an this awesome year or last one. Year? Oh no, that was last year, and I think Holy it was last year about nuts. this time. Yeah. This is when you do two hundred of these. Like it yeah. does none of it makes yeah, sense. Yeah, it was the uh, the Obsequiae yeah episode. Yeah, which is still a great album. Um, before we get to that though. Uh, was scanning the internet and uh, came across this little gem here. I don't know if this falls under title talk, streaming wars, or whatnot, uh, but this is up on Pitchfork. It says, Warner Music issues potentially devastating blow to small record stores. The distribution and marketing arm of WEA, which is uh, just Warner Brothers Music, uh, shuts down accounts of a number of stores doing less than $10,000 in business annually with them. Uh, with... Well, I was reading through this, and you know, we are lamenting, you know, the death of record stores. What's the one that was in Adams Morgan? Crooked Beat. Crooked Beat. Crooked yeah. they, they're moving all around. They just signed a thing. Alexandria now, I think, or Arlington but I, or something. I think right? all of us here sort yeah. of understand that this, uh, that record stores may be just going away. So what? I mean, what are we really talking about here? Is this? I I still haven't parsed this article out to where I can see like. Is this a thing that's just putting like really small people out of business, or is this a thing where the industry is making a move to maybe stop production? I mean, in my mind, this is the beginning of like the singularity. If you live in a, <laughs> if you live in a, if you live in a town like Washington D.C. or New York City or so, wherever, the darkness will become self-aware. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you have you'll have one record store in your town. Okay, like one. You know, like I mean, I, I went to Charleston, West Virginia once, and they had one record store, and it was pretty cool. Because you could walk in there and like everybody in town that wanted records mm -hmm. could go in and it's like, I mean, the ultimate idea is that they, there's a positive in this, like in this whole story, is that every single city can have like an Amoeba Records, where it's just like, this is mm -hmm. right. just the most astounding place where every single record lives. Right. And that's a good thing. I think that that's where there's a, there's a value in the music industry moving to this model where things that are of the old industry exist in ones and twos mm -hmm. and not tens and twelves. Um, it's painful. It's not exciting. It's not a thing that, you know, you necessarily want to promote as a thing that, you know, is happening in the industry. But ultimately, at the end of the day, in the, in the final wash, I think that it's probably the best thing. There is something, I think, like the, uh, when we talk about kind of the idea of the record store, um, I think what a lot of us probably remember, given our demographic, is the place that, like, everyone went on a Friday and a Saturday night and right. like all the tribes were there. Right. So like the metal kids were there, the hip hop kids were there. Um, the indie kids were there, the goths were there, like, and it's just where you went because that's where the music was. Right. Um, and so there is some, um, you know, there, part of me likes that idea. It's one of the few things that I'll say is a good thing about record store day is that it brings out all the different groups to, to essentially shop in the same place. Um, you lose some of that when you start to get these specialized kind of, 
uh, highly segmented things. At the same time, I, I, I always struggle with like, you go to a, a tiny shop like Red Onion, um, mm -hmm. and they have just a really great selection. And if you're someone who like, doesn't really care about music more than like, you know, reading a Pitchfork review once every couple of months, you might not find a lot that you know there or recognize there. And they have this extensive jazz section, like a really deep folk section. Um, and so part of me always wonders, like, so if we are going to drive consolidation, I love Crooked Beat. Crooked Beat has a little bit of everything, but it doesn't go that deep on most things other than like the dominant indie music well, form. Well, I, I so. guess my, my big question is being somebody who doesn't at this point consume like a lot of vinyl. Yeah, you're anti. I, I'm not anti. Um, I just don't have a record player uh, upstairs. And, uh, you know, w these smaller stores, because I think that's what we're talking about. I don't think we're talking about a uh, Crooked Beat or even a Red Onion, as small as those are. Right, right. Uh, it's like joint custody or something like that. Or yeah, something. yeah, yeah. Like, what? Like, do, do we need those in 2016? Well, I, I think it's do we need those to be selling warner music right. in well, 2016 because yeah, yeah, yeah. i just didn't see the big deal with this article uh when you sent it over well, most most of the people that they interviewed were saying that their shops which are local record stores mm -hmm. were not affected because they did ten thousand dollars a year in business yeah Talk, uh, talking to dusty groove is not a good way to find out if a small record right, store right, is going right, to be right, impacted right, right. but i i looked at it and i said look this is a, they, they said it's a long-standing policy. They're just now enforcing it. Okay, whatever. That's corporate speak. Yeah. But a third of the accounts had ordered zero dollars in records from them in, in right. the last year. So that's just a third that's just like, okay, we're purging our customer roles mm -hmm. right here. Everybody else has the option of going to a wholesaler. And if that adds a dollar or two to the record, I have to think that anybody who's going into a shop small enough not to make that baseline is not bargain shopping or else they'd just right, be ordering right. their records from Amazon. They're making a point of going to the record store and a point of buying things. I have a feeling that a lot of the stores that are, uh, that are affected by this are either on their way out anyway, mm -hmm. because they're just not doing enough business or they have a specialized clientele that's not buying music well, from Warner records. And, and, and that's the thing though, is that if um, we like the little guy here, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah we, sure. like, we like the little guy. And the reality is, is that Warner Records, Sony Records and stuff, is what the, the casual music buying public is going to buy. Now, whether that translates into vinyl sales or whatnot, I, I, I don't know. Uh, or CDs. I guess they could be talking about CDs in this case. Uh, but that potentially could be what's keeping a place open. Uh, these things that are just on the edge. And so I, I guess what I took out of it was like, what will be the impact if these go away? I tend to think, and this is sort of a horrible thing to say, uh, the impact will be zero. It'll be negligible. I think you're right, because again, these albums are still available through wholesalers. Right. Yeah, there's a bit of a markup, but I don't think you're talking about like a 50% markup. You're probably talking about... A couple bucks on it, the edge, it, and if this mm -hmm. invariably they're available on Amazon, and right. yeah, and if right. well, and wholesalers sell them cheaper than Amazon mm -hmm. to the to the stores. So if you're doing less than ten thousand dollars of business wholesale from Warner every year, and then you just have to mark that small amount that you're that's already part of your stock yeah. up another dollar or two, 
if right. that's if that's, the, if that's, that's what's going to drive you out of business, yeah, right. then you were probably going out of business right. anyway. Yeah. There's a there's an interesting point about like where this heads in my mind. Um, I think about the CD and like the and the initial CD era when uh, record labels decided they wanted to like you know release greatest hits and put together Absolutely. these kind of like incredible pieces with artists whose music was popular in the record era. So now we're at a place where like. The record era, uh, there is another way for record labels to do these kind of like incredible compendiums of music. If they're just trying to sell records, if they're just trying to sell mass, which is obviously what they want to do if they're cutting out like the, the smallest of, the, of the, the smallest people. Right. Like they want to do mass. They want to do like incredible numbers. Because it can't do... be worth it to like actually make this physical product anymore. Right. So if you're going to make this physical product, the, the possibility opens up like I look at what like Spotify does a lot of times with like these kind of like deeper sessions where they get in with artists and they talk about the music they've made and they get to do these kind of interviews and more like, you know, kind of like user-friendly stuff that is really exciting. So there's a space for that, I think, really, where if labels really want to still sell records and they know that Record Store Day is a thing, we know that. Mm -hmm. it's right. It's here. Verifiable. It's not going to go it's anywhere. Not going anywhere. It's, yeah. So if you put out a record, every Record Store Day of a band that still is around and relevant, viable, whatever, and you can like get with the artists and re-release it and do an interview and make it this thing that you have to buy and that they know that they could buy it. And they, they could also do a small enough run where it's like, they know it's going to sell out. And I think that's where we're heading, especially with records, like new records is not a really market for it, but older stuff, 3d printing. That's all I got to <laughs> say, man. That, if, if you tell me that I can a couple hundred bucks, get a 3d printer. And then I, I don't care who I order it from. I, like I get the album, and I can print that album on vinyl on demand. I can give one to the cats. They can scratch <laughs> it up. I can do whatever. I think. Well, you tell me that, that happens, but... and I, and I think Paul, you're looking at me like, yeah, maybe. No, I'm 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 no. saying that's not going to happen. <laughs> no, because a that's lot the of... look I'm giving you. <laughs> to me, there's a lot of there's a lot of copyright revoked. <laughs> there's an idea with like copyright where if you could if if the record stores really wanted to be smart, they could sell like one copy of these things to stores and give them mm -hmm. the copyright. And just have them print it off yeah. in store, right. yeah. which will be the coolest thing on ever. Demand. Yeah, if you went into the record store and they had like one copy of this thing, and they just made the copy physically on site, boom, and it was this like custom crafted thing. That's something that's ideal, and you're just ultimately selling the rights I, for I, music and not the music. I don't. Itself. I don't think that's ideal because right now I think I, I think that music, the physical physical music, is being uh is being supported by two things old people who aren't comfortable with digital which are which are fading year by year <laughs> right, 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 right. actually yeah, really right, not right, viable right. and the and the i guess for lack of a better word the artisanal movement in uh in <laughs> younger folks and that, that's what i've got my artisanal stuff young. i'm serious that's <laughs> I'm, but, I'm but that's, what, you. that's what's driving vinyl Hand handcrafted people people buy people buy vinyl because they're like i want something to display right, it's vinyl right. like it's if you're going to a store and having somebody insta print off the vinyl and then just like laser print the sleeve, I think that takes a lot of the um, the power away from what you're trying to do. I like think, yeah, I think, people who are doing that want they want to display generally that like that they're curating a collection or that right. they took yeah, the I'll, effort to go get something. But, if anybody can walk to record booth and get whatever record they want, then why not get the digital? Well, I'll put it like this. Uh, the record industry doesn't care what any of us think. 
Yeah. I don't yeah. think they really give four shits, honestly. And <laughs> as much as what you say is viable, I think that for record executives who are just trying to turn a, turn a profit right now, literally just trying to turn a profit, like they don't, they don't care. They, they literally sell, they, Michael Jackson's voice was sold to L.A. Reid, the voice of the, the king of pop. You know, like, that's where we are right now. I, I yeah. totally agree. Just trying to yeah. turn a profit. So, like, in that case, printing a record with 3D printers makes all the sense in the world. If it's a it's, gimmick I, and it gives you a little bit of It's not right, boost. but it's okay. But I, I totally agree, but I think it's printing a record with 3D printers at their facility, packaging it up, marking it up, like, reducing their production costs. Yeah. Yeah. But then still keeping the cost to the consumer high, and you have to keep that that aura about the physical property because they know right now that they went into a major dip when there was nothing special about right. physical mm -hmm. music, right. and we're right. in a space right now where you can say, "Oh, wait a second, there's a form that I can buy it in yeah. that shows people that I'm a collector that gives you some of that cachet back." And as long as they can ride that, they're going to ride it in whatever way makes the most money yeah. for them. I totally agree. I just think that once you, I just once you put it in the hands of consumers to be like print your own, or you tell a shop, it's like CDRs. we're not going to ship. I these just hope there. there's not a yeah. Sean Parker in the world that's listening to this podcast because <laughs> then we're completely fucked. Sean Parker listens, didn't you? Really? Yeah, yeah. Well, hell, that's he's, awesome. he's listener fifteen. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, so let's so let's go to the uh, the Soylent Green scenario here, the the worst case scenario. Is this where we eat records? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> records are people, Eduardo. <laughs> um, uh, you know, so say, uh, let's assume that vinyl is a bubble, which I think it sort of is. I think this, this, it's not quite like cassette tapes where that's just a purely like fetishistic. I think it's more of a disc than a bubble. <laughs> a flat disc? <laughs> like time? Time, yeah, is a, time, is a, time is a flat vinyl. <laughs> um, you know, if... Uh, say, instead of you have to get $10,000, these companies just decide, fuck it. The bubble bursts. There's no point. There's no place for this physical media right now. Like, does that wreck a bunch of shit, or do we suddenly land in the uh, utopia? Except for, you know, the records being people. No, because I think part of it is driven by the artists. I think the artists like having something to give away, to sell, and, you know, since time, since there have been pop stars, there have been physical objects that pop stars have hawked in some shape yeah. or form. It just so happens that for a good chunk of time, those physical objects were what were where the music lived. Yeah. Um, so maybe records go away, but... Um, and I'm trying not to pick on like clothing or something, but like Taylor Swift would find some other object to Christmas ornaments or yes. something. Or there's a God, there's a there's there's a there's an a hole record executive somewhere who's just itching to like figure out a way to create vinyl sounding MP3s. Oh or, yeah, oh yeah. 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 Th that well, it's, it's funny if you look on pirate sites, uh, the the vinyl yeah, rips yeah. are yeah. very are very very popular. Which right. is, I mean. <laughs> If you don't understand the difference between like vinyl is is analog, which means it's sort of it sort of flows, it's like a river yeah. of sound, and there and there's bumps along the way, and and actually the the show vinyl, you know, the opening credits dove into a record as the needle was dropped on it and showed you what that looks like. Right. Uh, maybe I'll put some in the show notes. It's a fascinating thing if you haven't seen like mm -hmm. under an electron microscope a vinyl record. Well, and if you see the sound charts, like that, you know, yeah, there's sort of right. with 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 analog, there's a continuous wave, and with digital, there's just sort of several chunks yeah. that are but, assembled into something like. But curve. no matter what, um, 
a digital is a digital. Right. It's on or off. It's one zero. That's it. There's, <laughs> there's no, I don't care. Like, basically, it'll just sound like you got you scratched your shit. Yeah. Um, so. But to get back to this, this question of like, because I think we started on the small record stores, and if there is concern about them, you know, the thing that's squeezing sales out of them is not necessarily whether I can buy a Warner Brothers record there or not. It's whether, um, it's whether labels um, include a download card or not with a record, right? Because if they don't, and if I know I want that um, uh, recording digitally, I might buy it from Amazon because Amazon gives you free MP3 downloads of any yep. physical media that you buy. Um, Numero Group does not have download cards when you, when you buy their records at a store. If you buy it from Numero, then you get a download the minute your transaction is completed. So that's yep. the only way to get a digital copy is from them. Right. Yep. And of course, they don't want they they would rather get those you know that extra buck fifty. Mm -hmm. um, they don't want to leave that money on the table for the small independent record store. But but like it's not just it's not just the bigs that are squeezing out. You know, it's it's several well intentioned players who are looking out for their best interest too. And there's a finite amount of money on the table, and there are seven or eight different you know rent seekers trying to make sure that they get a piece of it. God, there's a day that's coming when Bandcamp's going to open up a record store somewhere in Brooklyn. Oh my I God, totally that's see so going to happen. <laughs> you get, you get is... the text from Marcus? I mean, <laughs> I know, I'll get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you'll have the news, we'll have the news I, uh, first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, yeah, no. It'll, it'll, it'll be a pop-up it'll... in the back of the mayonnaise store or something. Pop-up at Coachella, first year. <laughs> yeah, and, then, and then it'll be... Uh, well, in fact, Numero just opened up a, uh, a retail store, and they are, really? it's Pitchfork Fest this weekend, Yeah, and they're like pushing it pretty hard. Of course. Uh, because they're like, hey, you can come in and actually get our stuff. Yeah, so. the van, the Bandcamp store would be crazy because, of course, Bandcamp's working with everybody right now. So so yeah. maybe that's actually the model that we need. Instead yeah. of instead of these people who are, quote-unquote, curators, uh, which, look, you know, the record store clerk is much like comic book guy on The Simpsons. They're all assholes. <laughs> yes. They always have been like, throughout history. Uh, high fidelity. That that's yeah. there's no exact there's no exaggeration in that movie. They're slightly no, better so than bike real. store people. Yeah, but, but yeah. not much. <laughs> yes. That's the second time you've I gone off on fucking bike hate store bike store people, man. <laughs> 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 They're the worst. Um so maybe it is this thing where you are a content creator, provider, curator, like yeah. numero group, like Bandcamp. Right. And and then you sell it directly in a physical space. And those right. are the record stores. Yeah. And Which I think I'd be down with. Yeah. Because you, you know who your market is already. Yeah. And you know what to have on hand already and how much of it to have on hand. Because you can do all that via data that exists in the world now. Yeah. Like you want, you want to capture tracks LP? You got to go to New York. Right. And get it. Unless they open up a physical store here. And they can, and they can open up pop-ups around the country. Yeah, put, and it, do, put it at Union Market. And, yeah. do, and do concerts. Come, come to Crafty Bastards or whatever, right? Yeah. So. Crafty Bastards with a bunch of concerts because you know yeah. the bands that are trending because, like I said, data exists in the world. Yeah. Data that says Lynchburg is a better music town than Washington, D.C. <laughs> <laughs> totally different. Totally different We're thing. all moving, man. We're all Re moving. Relocate I'm never going back. Um, <laughs> Damn it. Jerry so, Falwell, here we come. So yeah, we'll put the, the uh, link in the show notes. Stuff to think about. Uh, we always say reach out. Uh, and uh, Eduardo, you're going to take the hit on this. Like, reach out to Eduardo. Eduardo I'm at glasses.com. I would love to hear from you. Uh, email. <laughs> uh, so, you guys ready to talk about some metal? Yes.
name of that song is An Archer in the uh, in the Emptiness. The name of the band is Inter Arma. They are from Richmond, Virginia, a place that uh, you've heard us talk a lot, a lot about. I've spent some time there. Uh, founded there in 2006. Uh, you know, I have to say, being there, uh, Richmond has, much like D.C., has a big punk scene. Richmond does have a good punk yeah. scene. They've got a better metal scene and, and this weird dedication to like people who are just metal as fuck. And uh, these are one of the guys that are most certainly metal as fuck. Uh, is TJ Childers on uh, drums, guitar, acoustic guitars, lap steel, keyboard, synthesizers, noise, and vocals. N- noise. Bless him. Trey Dalton on guitar, keyboards, and vocals. Uh, Joey Kirk's on bass. Mike Paparo, he, uh, he's the guy you hear screaming. Uh, Steve Russell on guitars. This is their uh, third album for Relapse Records. The name of the album is Paradise Gallows. Uh, previously, they put out Sundown. That was sort of an independent release. Uh, then Sky Burial, which is, as Paul noted, the name most metal. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't get much more metal than the Sky Burial. <laughs> well, it, it sort of does, because The Cavern, which was, I believe, in uh, 2014, is one fucking song. Yep. 46 minutes long. <laughs> like, like, that, nothing gets more metal than that. Uh, as, and as and he, the plot of that song is like, a guy wakes up in a cave, and then he climbs a mountain, and then he sees a woman, and he dies. Yes. <laughs> and, it, <laughs> and it takes 46 minutes. <laughs> I, yes. I mean, that's, that's, there's nothing, that's, that's sort of like a, a very meta, like a metal fan. <laughs> okay. yeah. <laughs> yeah, he saw a girl and it was like, it's all over. Um, Shit. It's all downhill from here. Is, uh, you know, this is like, been referred to as uh, doom, post-metal, sludge, avant-garde, black and death metal. Uh, because I don't follow metal, like, I couldn't tell you the difference. I, I mean, I do follow metal, but not, not that heavily. Um... To say this record is one of the heaviest we've heard this year, and I'm counting swans in there, uh, the, is putting it lightly. There is uh, nothing like a good metal album. We did Obsequiae and Lore last year, and uh, this this is no exception. One thing, uh, before I kick it over to you guys, that I find sort of particular joy in this record is that, unlike a lot of things, even though I have no idea what this guy is fucking saying, Zero at any point in this album, I have no idea. <laughs> uh, is that uh, they have a sense of melody yep. that instantly transports you to the gates of Mordor <laughs> and leaves you there, and and it just gets worse from there out. So, so Paul, you, you we did the last metal serious metal cast. So, so what, what are you thinking here? Uh, well, I just want to echo the last thing you said right there. Is that I think what sets them apart is that they actually uh, they have a sense of I guess more traditional song craft that's laced within here. Mm-hmm. Um, there's uh, there's some Pink Floydy psych stuff going on. There's some Southern rock stuff going on. It's a gorgeous it's, record. Yeah, it really is. It's not, it rocks hard, but it's not just like that sludgy blast that you get sometimes when you yeah. just uh, try to turn on something from Norway. And, <laughs> oh, yeah, there's no way, audience. Yeah, no, it's. I mean, look, I, I like some of that stuff sometimes, but it can be a little impenetrable. Um, I, I would say that this is the kind of metal that I actually like to listen to, it, even though it's very different. It's kind of like uh, uh, the Bodies record earlier this year. Um, yeah. kind of did yeah. some of the same sorts of things where you can actually you can see the tracks developing and you can see them going beyond just like a pummeling wall of sound and screamed lyrics so yeah it's it's very um like the first song uh nominee is it's it's almost tender Mm -hmm. like this is not something you associate with the last song is a ballad basically yeah right yeah Yeah. where the earth earth meets the sky yes (laughs) 
So, um, yeah, there's two things. Um, number one, uh, these guys are like no bullshit metal people, which I really appreciate because you find a lot of people who do metal in this era are, are kind of bullshit metal people. Mm-hmm. Like they, they think that metal is like, I'm going to wear chains and scream into the fucking mic. Arr! And you're like, no, no, dude. It's not really not that. And, uh, and this, and the things that make this record cool, it's like, this record takes me back to like 90, 91, mm-hmm. where like pop and grunge and metal like converged and everybody decided, okay. On, on the Judgment Night soundtrack? Not, not there, not there. That's like 93, but that's a great record. Yeah. It's a great, it's an underrated record. Because um, of the De La Soul and Teenage Fan Club yo, song. Yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, man. Um, anyway, so uh, Helmet House of Pain too. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Any, in any event. Helmet. Yes. <laughs> um, okay, so there's this thing where like, okay, so like all of the great pop tropes were put in, all the great pop rock tropes were mixed with like just hard, classic, like 70s metal and then there's like just like okay we have to have noise involved because there's one thing that grunge did well was like introduce like dissonant sounds to like the pop you know environment for sure so i think and the funny part is, is that i think that if we had those guys in the room and we said this to them they look at us like we were aliens because that's not i you were, were planning on having them over yeah I think and, that and they, i guarantee you that yeah they, they, yeah. they might not i mean I <laughs> yeah i think that because i think that we're at a point where it's like like we've gone around the sun enough times where what this originally sound would sound like to somebody who isn't like in their head is it has nothing to do with like where they are where they are creatively right they're just good musicians who know how to like take things that are good about music and interpolate them into metal yeah yeah which is cool they want to express themselves by scaring the shit out of me <laughs> it it is a legit like like you said, Kevin, it's super heavy. It's a legit, like, terrifying album. It has, it does a few things that to me are really notable, and I don't have, like, the deepest knowledge of metal. Um, so for all the, your, you know, your hardcore uh, genre-specific metal listeners out there in the Chunky Glasses community, you can, you all can shit all over us for not knowing this stuff well enough, but, <laughs> but it seems like the Literally, album... Literally, they're metal people. They will come over yeah, and shit will. all over <laughs> us. If they, if, they don't, if they don't murder us, like the... Uh, <laughs> Who's that? Who's that? Bur- Burzum? Was that the band who singer murdered yes, someone? Yes. Is that, yeah. Oh, man. Okay. Have we um, really reached shit murder already? Like, yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's post Bob Boylan. <laughs> post- <laughs> the post Bob Boylan here on Tookie Glasses. Shit and murder and metal. Um, um, but yeah, but so this this hits on it hits on like straight up um, kind of the the death, you know, that guttural, uh, you know, the thing you expect when you're listening to really extreme metal. It does something. The song Primordial Wound um, <laughs> was the one that kind of made me, like, that was the one where I was like, holy shit, what is the, happening here? My note for that, I have very few notes. I have, <laughs> yeah. I have Nominee is Tender, and then Archer in the Emptiness is Holy Fuck Metal. <laughs> and then for Primordial Wound, this is what hell sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> so, this is what hell sounds the like. The way I, love it. I felt listening to that, like, the first time I heard, like, Scarecrow by Ministry, which is a very specific, yep. slow, super <laughs> scary song. Yeah. Where you're like, oh my god, where is this coming from? I can't fathom the humans that created this and that. And we can't play the song <laughs> because I cannot fathom the humans that created this. Um, and and obviously we can't play it. But like the last, so like for the listeners, go listen to it. It's it's like eight or nine minutes. The first six or seven minutes are very drony and monotonous. And there's this guitar riff that just let like you know it it it's 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 relentless. 
And then in the last two minutes, the uh, Mike Paparo, the vocalist, switches from this kind of weird Tuvan Mike Patton thing yes. to just straight up like black metal shrieks. And it's not melodic. It's not rhythmic. Mm-hmm. It doesn't follow. Like it just, it just has no really discernible relationship to the song, but it's a genuinely scary and terrifying moment. And that was when I sort of perked up and, and thought, oh, wow, there's, there's really something different happening here. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, I've, I've been wondering this, uh, I want to get to a track real quick. Actually, let's, let's do a track right now and then I'll come back to what I was going to say. So, uh, we're not going to play that track, but we are going to play, uh, the track, the summer drones, which they just put out yeah, a video good. for. Nice. Uh, so here's summer drones came rolling in. Yeah. So here's the summer drones, uh, from each one.
we're talking about how, uh, like, there's a, there's this era where, like, Leonard Skinner was, like, the best fucking band. Yeah. And, like, Black Sabbath was kind of, like, you know, doing their kind of, like, metal, you know, early metal thing in that era, too. So it's, like, there's, like, a corollary where there's, like, this kind of, like, southern rock thing that both of those bands do. They, like, droney, big, mm-hmm. like, overwrought thing. Yeah. And, as, and that's what makes this record great. Yeah. Is that it just sounds like really overwrought like this is like it's not powerful it's just heavy well and and that song shows a lot of the different layers of their sound yeah. you know and this is mm-hmm. and we're all like grading on a curve here because it's all still super fucking metal yeah but it's <laughs> but it's pretty like melodic and almost like jazzy for metal at times like yeah, there's yeah. that you get that like that guitar foundation Again, the drums so are sort very of richmond yeah right mm-hmm. like uh, i don't think people understand how deep the jazz scene is there Mm-hmm. And then almost every musician there probably went, every musician in this band probably at least took some classes at VCU Jazz School. Wow. Well, yeah. I was, I spent part of the past couple of days just going back and listening to old metal that I used to like, like Merciful Fate or Napalm Death or bands that oh, I thought man. were like very seminal. And, poison? And not Poison. That's not metal, man. The <laughs> oh, fuck it isn't. <laughs> yes, it is. Okay. I guess, I guess hair, hair metal, metal is not metal. <laughs> okay. But uh, but all that stuff sounds really mechanical compared to something like this. Um, you know, the drums are not driving the song. There's a sort of there's that looseness there. The vocals are like kind of soaring above it, and that's almost like I know I'm wearing the shirt, but it's a very Faith No More thing to do is to have that mm. kind of um, that uh, weird sort of tenor baritone, which I know is a contradiction, like but but just kind of up there above the rest of the music. But you know, my thing with this and why I think this this affects me or anything, like, I mentioned that uh, I don't have a clue what they're saying on this album. Uh, I don't right. tend to digest metal albums by going to, like, Genius, which I guess you can do now for just about everything. Uh, because at, at its core, especially if it's played loud, because if you're seeing this, it's going to be loud. Like, you think about a Swan show... And their their goal is to like shake you, and then they've done things like turn off the a- AC unit, so you, so, so you, yeah, so you really <laughs> feel this experience, which actually I'm sort of a fan of. Yeah, yeah. Um, You're a fan of turning off the AC. Well, I'm a, no, I'm a fan of 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 whatever music or a musician can do to make you really feel, get something very visceral off the thing, and metal as a whole, uh, not White Snake or Poison, obviously, but <laughs> uh, metal like this can do that and i i think part of the fun of this record is just sort of submitting to it i mean like i'm gonna take this journey now uh i mean it's not like sit down and hang out with the lady listening you know and it's not not saturday morning and it's it's not it's not (laughs) it's not background music it's you have to intentionally put this music on and then you, you buy the ticket and you take the ride. And it's uh it's fascinating to me that given that there are so many like examples of just people who do this badly, you know, we were sort of busting on Deaf Heaven. Um and uh how well they execute on it. Mm-hmm. Oh. I'll say there's there's a thing about the execution on this record that I have to mention. Um guy Mike Allred is the guy who produced the record. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if he had anything to do with the mixing or anything of that, but the way that like a lot of like m- m- current metal sounds, it just sounds like it's in a box 
and struggling to get out of this big giant box of like dissonance. And people feel like because it's metal, it has to be loud and aggressive. So there's something about dissonance that makes things loud and aggressive. But this record sounds beautiful. It's the it best. Breathes. It breathes. And it's the best overall production they've had. Like I've looked back and listened to their yeah. entire discography and they, they really made an effort here to like make sure that like the pieces of the band that are like the best, I would say, like not that they, not that anybody's the worst, but like on each song, there's certain things that have to stand out. There's things that have to like, you know, like, yeah. And they really made it, made a great effort here to ensure that like this record allows like the band to breathe. And it sounds like, doesn't, and so it doesn't sound like a lot of metal that you hear right now. So I think that's the thing that benefits them greatly. And I can't imagine live, it's funny, they talk about, I was reading the Bandcamp article about them, and they talk about how when they play live that these songs all sound different. I would believe that. And I would totally believe it because there's no, there's not that space in those songs for it to have like that kind of like ability to really like do a different thing. Yeah. 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 Um, one thing I was wondering, uh, and this is a half serious question, is how you know we've seen a lot more people turning to metal metal the metal scene is exactly like any other scene you have people who are really into it and they'll defend it and they have their bands and just like indie rock like most of those bands suck and you know but there are some good ones this is clearly one of the good ones uh in case you can't tell where we're going with this <laughs> um how i've seen a lot more metal uh and a lot more good metal and and i was wondering just because i just binged this like are we seeing sort of like a Game of Thrones effect that everybody like got hooked on Game of Thrones? I mean, this is inherently metal to my mind. It, 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 it sort of just lives in a medieval land. And, and I've seen more and more people like turn to it that normally I wouldn't see turn to it. At the same time, Game of Thrones has become this like, like hugely successful show. If any song on this was playing during the Battle of the Bastards fall, <laughs> You know, I, I wouldn't have worked within the show's context, but like I, could, I, I, I just, I 100% disagree. But you could redo. Uh, well, no, look, the Battle of the Bastards is more melancholy than that. Like you're not going to pull this in there, but you could remix the Battle of the Bastards into a music video for one of these songs, right? Right, and that's sort of what I'm saying. But I, I don't know that that's a connection that you can really okay. draw with this, or that I, not a connection that I would draw. I think it's more just. Uh, kind of what, we, what we've been talking about here, and I think, uh, I think it was Marcus that, that brought this up, that uh, these are guys who like metal but are playing good music drawn from a lot of different genres. Right. And you're seeing that with more, uh, uh, I guess you'd say, niche music these days mm -hmm. uh, than you ever have before because of the availability of different genres and the cross-genre hopping that's going on. I think I think you're seeing that you don't, it's hard to find something that is a quote unquote pure example of a genre anymore because people are taking the best parts right. of everything and mixing it together. Well, they, they I just getting, think that music is getting better overall. I, I think you're you right. Pick, you can, you can Every year we out. sort of joke about that, like, oh, this year was the best. It can't get better. And then so far this year, uh, this included. I don't know what's going on, but like people are hitting it, man. There's I there's a there's a rule I have about the music industry where if music makes no money, then there's really no reason to not go yeah. into the studio and kill it every time. I think right? you said that about the uh, Kendrick. Yeah, like Lamar that's the album, thing, yeah. right? It's the truth. Like that's the thing. It's like if there there's no reason if you're 
if you're this bit, you go into the studio, there's really no reason to not like take every single day and just like make the perfect song. Cause well, and, and they've been sitting on these songs for years. That's the other thing. So they've lived mm-hmm. these records. Like they know them backwards and forwards, inside and out, up and down. So it's like, you get into the studio. It's like, okay, cool. Do this, do that, do that other thing. All right, cool. Make, make the perfect song. Make the weird song. Make, right. Just yeah. do, do, do the thing. And make it awesome. I mean, they, I mean, you know, you have no reason not to do that, anyways. Yeah, and if no you, one's. Uh, yeah, ahead. no, and 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 no one's going into metal expecting to be a crossover hit, right? Or expecting <laughs> to somehow, right? There's no like the top of the music industry pile, except is is just not. First of all, it's not there anymore. It's much lower than it used to be. Look, there there, um, is, there is a uh, <laughs> obvious and loud barrier to entry. <laughs> right, right, metal. right. But but except that I think you know we as music fans and just as people. If somebody writes a good song, we react. So it can be metal, it can be whatever, uh, you know. But you're not going to get, I mean, like, you can get, like, like you're never, like, no one going into bluegrass is going to be a pop star, right? And yeah, okay. and despite despite Mumford and Sons, um, which is not <laughs> yeah. bluegrass, any right. more than Poison is metal. Um, but, uh, <laughs> God, but they, Poison but, slams all over the place. <laughs> But but it's just it's cancer, the scale man. is right. Like the people going into it have the right expectations yeah. and they have a definition of success, which is I think entirely based on doing what they want to do and being free, and not about moving units. And I think that's I, I I think you're right, and I think that's great. I think it's the same thing that you've seen happen with uh, with television, frankly, where yeah. you don't have to make these broad crossover hits that draw thirty million people. Like there are there are TV shows now that are making plenty of money. And are doing well with ratings that would have gotten you canceled in two weeks a decade ago. Look at Horace and Pete. Oh, Horace and right. Pete, I mean, that wasn't even on TV, you know, right. that's, or even on a streaming service. Right? And, and like, it may be just, the best quote unquote television show that's right. ever been made. But even, even if you're talking about a more traditional delivery platform, right. things, like, uh, things like Mr. Robot, Mad mm-hmm. Men, Justified, these sorts of things, when you look at the raw ratings, they yeah, come in below <laughs> whatever they're showing at right. 1030 right. on CBS, but that gets canceled. These go on because narrow casting is something that actually can give you a career now because there are so many different ways to get your product and so many different ways to monetize your product. So you can actually say, I'm going to make something good yeah. that speaks to a very devoted small segment of the audience and screw everybody else. Yeah, mm-hmm. And I think that, I think that's great for art because if you see something that you don't like, there are going to be a dozen other things that you do, but that thing that you yeah. don't like, if it's executed well, there are probably going to be enough people to we, keep it going and, and sustain it. And we aren't obligated to like everything. No, yeah. nobody does. Right. right. There's like eleven minute long songs on here. Right. <laughs> like, let me like like I don't know more if, than like, one. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like, there's like eleven there minute long songs. That's a two thing. one ten minute song right. one seven minute. Uh, yeah. This is not pop music by any stretch of the imagination. There's also five or six minutes of a really pretty sort of David Gilmore, almost like, you know, full tube screamer kind of, uh, the, yeah. I think is the outro song, Potomac, which is just a song that fits, that like doesn't really have anything in common with the rest of the album. And maybe as a standalone song, I wouldn't like it. In the context of the album, it's just absolutely majestic. And, and, and to start to wrap this up and to speak to that point, you know, when you talk about the melodics of this this album, you get to a point. That's that's the journey you take. There, it's it's this sort of like shock and release method they have in listening to it. You know, you go through these songs that are super heavy to a little, little, little less punishing, 
to back to like, oh, we're, we're so fucked right now. <laughs> and then you hit that song Potomac, and it's gorgeous. And you just sit and you breathe with it, and you're like, hey, this is, uh, I, I could take a nap to this. Not that I want to, but, <laughs> but you, you know what I mean. Yeah. And that, uh, I think, is, to your point, Paul, uh, a lot of people would see that as a risk. And I see that as them just being like, we're going to do what we're going to do. Fuck everybody if they don't like it. And I, I don't think that's bad to say. I think you have to say that if you, if you want to if you want to be popular, of course, that's not going to work for you. Good. But if, if you just want to make the art, then that's what you got to do. It's like we were, when we were talking about a Sturgill Simpson mm-hmm. record. And <laughs> Sturgill's my favorite interview in music right now because he really <laughs> doesn't care. He's like, right. I, I made a record. Um, if you if you don't want to buy it, I don't really don't care. So if you like it, cool. And that's where I think they are too, especially because that's that's the metal aesthetic. Yeah, it's like, hey, I'm just, we just made yeah awesome music. I so. can see some metal people somewhere going, like, "Good guys, that one is so pretty, I can't take it." <laughs> uh, you know, but uh, so uh, so let's start with you, Marcus. What are you gonna do with this? Buy it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. I don't buy anything. <laughs> Damn. Except metal. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Eduardo, uh, I'm gonna. I'm. I'm not sure if I'm gonna buy it digitally or if I'm gonna buy the special blue and gold vinyl <laughs> edition. Yo, uh, do that. that they have on their uh, online store. You won't be able to get it at your local store. You, I, I will not. Um, <laughs> it's on that Bandcamp. But it it probably has a lyric sheet too. So I'm I'm sort ooh, of curious ooh. to know. Oh, we should annotate this podcast. <laughs> uh, Paul, hey, what are you doing? Genius, if you're listening. I give this a rating of either pie or Snorlax, whichever scale we're using today. Nice, nice shout out to uh, to our G chats. Yeah, it's, it's a buy. It's a buy. Yeah, yeah I I think uh, this is gonna be rare. This is the the uh, quadruple buy. Uh, nice. I'm gonna buy it. I'm not only gonna buy it. I think this is one of the best albums of the year. Period. Uh, there's nothing like it. If you if you need to take a musical journey of sorts, uh, this is the one for you. So uh, so yeah. Uh, Inner Armor, Paradise Gallows. Inter Arma, Paradise Gallows, uh, as you just heard, I think one of the best albums of this year. Uh, definitely, if, if you're not the buying type, at least listen to it. If you're not the metal type, come on. Trust us. <laughs> Bob trusts us. Yeah. And you trust Bob. So <laughs> that, that's going to get old real quick. <laughs> I, uh, I, like I, said, I mean, ideally, like, I ran to this record. So, like, if you're, like, in, in any sort yeah. of, like, physical fitness, this is a great record to run to. Specifically that song. Yes. Ooh, so good. So good. <laughs> it's majestic. Um, you know, at the end of these podcasts, we like to play a track for you. And uh, this week, we got a pretty groovy one, but I'm going to kick it over to, uh, to Eduardo to... Uh, yeah. T- tell you about this wonderful artist, Miss Xenia Rubinos. Yeah, we've all been, I think, digging on this album for a little while now. It kind of um, snuck up on me. Um, and for those of you who don't know, um, Ms. Uh, Xenia Rubinos is uh, a uh, 
Borican Cubana, I think is uh, would be the correct um, ethnic uh, description. Uh, she's a New York-based, um, half Puerto Rican, half Cuban uh, musician, and this is her second, I think, proper release. And it's um, the first one where she's really explored, I think, the idea of um, of her kind of uh, racial and ethnic identity. It's uh, she's said it's the first time that she's really started to think of herself as an Afro Latina. Um, and it's just a really gorgeous, powerful um, album that that really just it, it's it's a little bit jazzy. She'll sound like Chaka Khan here or there. Um, this song is called Black Stars. It's about um, there's an interview that you can read with her, I think, on NPR. But she talks about her father dying uh, of Parkinson's and that originally the song was about him. And then uh, post um, BLM and a number of the issues that have happened over the past year, the song sort of took on a different meaning for her. But Okay, so uh, Black Stars. Uh, the name of the album is uh, Black Terry Cat. Is that right? Brown Terry Cat, I think. No, Terry- Bla- Black Terry Cat. Is it black? Okay. Yeah, still not facts based. We're okay. good. <laughs> uh, black Stars, here we go.
can I can I borrow from Getting Over for a second? Because that's definitely a chicken and rice song. There you like, go. That's a, it's a chicken it's a chicken and rice album. That, that is so. Black Stars uh off and we have confirmed now uh Fax Base uh Black Terry Cat. Black Terry Cat. Uh yeah, you're saying that that's a chicken and rice song. Yeah, it's it's is, yeah, uh, the whole the whole album is just one of those like, oh, this is just how I eat my it, chicken and my, rice. Uh, Marcus, right? explain that metaphor. Okay, from, so uh, I, from, when I interviewed from, uh, from your wonderful podcast Getting Over. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So I interviewed Odyssey and he was talking about how a lot of culture can be broken down into the concept of chicken and rice, which in every single culture there is a dish that is heavily based on chicken and rice. Whether you do that with uh, you know, a, a curry or you do that fried or you do that. Yep. You know, baked, or you do that. You know, with with you know some kind of you know spicy, you know Asian inspired, you know marinade, whatever. You know, it's all chicken and rice. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. They, uh, hopefully, uh, we we actually played this track because we are pushing into August now. If you can believe that, um, with, <laughs> with the stuff we have in the can, and we want you to listen to the album. Uh, Hopefully we'll be talking about the whole album because it's yeah. fantastic. But and she's here in September. Yeah, she's here in September. Yeah. So, so hey, maybe we'll maybe we'll get her over. Let's do it. Uh, you know, we've got that the uh, Jamila Woods we got to oh, get yeah. to, which is heaven. Uh, Mauricio just did a tracking today on that. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so got a lot of stuff in the pipe. Uh, thank you guys for coming down, uh, Quinn. Thanks for drinking. <laughs> uh, we'll be back in a few short days I don't know what's coming after this I just know there's a lot of it um, So until then uh, Be good to your ears But be better to your people We'll see you later <laughs> 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 Kenobi!